Hello, I'm Arafat, I'm in the UK. And I'm Mohammed, and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop. Hello and welcome to Slow Pit Stop, the international Formula One podcast by fans for fans all around the world. My name is Arafat, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Mohammed. Say hi, Mohammed, for the second time today. <sighs> Hi, Mohammed. <laughs> still, still depressed. So, welcome to our group support session. We're not using the word therapy because this podcast isn't officially therapy, and we don't <laughs> want to get into some sort of legal jeopardy. Um, but what we're going to be doing today is discussing some news, um, talking about the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, Lewis Hamilton's 104th pole position, <clears throat> and then getting into the race uh, and our thoughts on it. And trying to support Muhammad through this difficult period in his life. It's not um, so difficult. So- I, I have a new outlook on life. And by life, I mean McLaren. And I, I'm excited to share it with you at the end of this episode. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. So first up in the news, we asked our Slow Pit Stop Twitter group what they would like to hear about this week. Uh, and they said they want us to talk about how amazing they are. And they are amazing. They really are very, very amazing. I can't believe that they listen to us. I can't believe that anyone listens to us. So um, we just want to start this episode by saying a big thank you to everyone that's listening, especially our regulars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You guys are absolutely the best. Uh, I'm so honored and I feel so appreciated that you guys come back and listen to us every episode. So thank you to all of our listeners who have been following us along this uh, journey. And, And for you guys, I have a special treat. Yep, that's right. That's a real studio audience that is clapping along for you. So, Mohammed, there's news. What's the news? Um, the Vegas Grand Prix are going to be charging local businesses near the track. Um, well, they'll be fining them uh, unless they block the views. Uh, and the fines, I think, are up to $1,500 per head. F1's arguing that they these businesses would benefit without actually contributing anything to the cost of the race uh, and it's going to be hard for the businesses to argue that f1 coming into town will harm their business so a bit of a strange story not but, strange yeah. this is quintessentially quintessentially american and i love it this is the most american thing that could have happened and i just love because think about it <laughs> from f1's point of view they're getting all these free spectators right that are going to be able to watch the race from prime locations and they have to pay zero dollars for a ticket they need to they need to go to the rainforest cafe pay seven dollars and 99 cents for a plate of chicken nuggets and they get the best view in the house on the start and the stop of the race so i think f1 is absolutely in the right to tell the rainforest cafe to cover their windows with their fake gorillas or whatever they can still serve the chicken nuggets um, but yeah, if they're, if they're not going to do that, they got to pay up. I, I think it's a completely fair thing. Look, Vegas is, is the craziest cash grab in F1 history. I can't think of a bigger, like Monaco at least has the history behind it. There's nothing behind Vegas. It's only there for the money and the vibes. So, you know, this is kind of what we all signed up for when we didn't sign up for it. I don't Just, think this is the Vegas problem. So, you know, a couple of races ago, not a couple of races, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Singapore, I was there for the, I, I, this is my second time going and the 
first time I went was during the Grand Prix and this time there was no race on and I was just amazed at how much I could see of the city because last time I was there they just sealed up all these like they put covers on like when you're crossing the bridge and all these kind of things you couldn't see like they deliberately blocked the track from public view. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so I, I don't think this is a new idea. I think this is just how F1 behaves. Uh, okay. So yeah, but I mean, I guess like the Abu Dhabi Hotel is different because you're like right over the track. It's literally called the hotel section. But I guess in, it makes sense in Singapore because you're further enough, further away from the, the race, right? Like yeah. you need binoculars to see it properly. But yeah, I, I, I think it's on brand for F1. And I, I mean... I think there's a lot of people getting into this sport who didn't realize how much money is involved in the sport. And once you realize how much money is involved, you kind of get used to it. Speaking of money. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, there's some stories coming out about cost cap breaches. Um, mm. Is it Aston Martin? Is it Mercedes? Is it Red Bull again? And people It's were saying, not Mercedes. Well, yeah, it, who knows? Who knows what's <laughs> going on? And someone said, well, you know, all these people were upset with Red Bull if it's Mercedes, will they turn around and be like, oh, it's a minor thing? I need to, like, people who listen to this know this about me. I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, not a Mercedes fan. I have no problem being angry at Mercedes if they break the rules. If Mercedes is the people who broke the rules, I will buy Red Bull merchandise. No, I will buy Max Verstappen merchandise and wear it for an entire episode. And we'll put that episode out. Nice. Um, That's how certain I am it's not Mercedes. Yeah. I I think all this chat about, oh, people cheating, people cheating, it's not good for the sport. Um, and people talking about, okay, what should the, a correct penalty be? Should it be a deduction of points? And then people say, well, Red Bull didn't get that last year, so why are we getting it this year? It's not fair, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I don't know. I, I still think the best punishment would have been if you go 10 million over budget, then you're total budget for next year should be reduced by 20 if you go 5 million over then you know they just double it so it's not that you pay a fine because then basically like you can break the cost cap and then pay some money as well on top of it it just favors the rich teams so i think your actual total budget should be reduced for the following year by double how much you overspend now people will argue well the rich ceos and everyone will be safe but the um, like normal employees will suffer because they're the ones that will get fired. So I don't know. I don't know what the ideal solution is, but yeah, but it still hurts the team. I mean, I know that, like you know, yeah, you do get fired. It's not good for the normal people, but it hurts the team overall. Still, they're still losing engineer. Like look at an operation like Haas, and look at an operation like Mercedes or Red Bull. Like you know, Haas is so bare bones. But I I agree with you, and and I will go further to say that if you break the cost cap two years in a row then the second year should have a sporting penalty because you kind of were born last year. So like everyone's talking about it could be Aston Martin. If it is Aston Martin, since they were in breach of it last year, granted it was a procedural breach, but they were still in breach last year, then I think that they should get a sporting penalty this year. And, and same with if it's Red Bull, especially if it's Red Bull. Um, but I, I really don't think it's Mercedes. And the reason why, it's not just because I'm being a Mercedes fanboy. It's just not on brand for Mercedes uh, to do that like like Red Bull ha- is known to be very like conniving like a- in a good way conniving you know like they'll do anything to win they have this mentality of we will do anything to win 
Mercedes, meanwhile, has like these moral lines that they refuse to cross. So Total Wolf will never go and and you know badmouth another driver, for example, um, or or you know put out innuendo about a different driver. Like he'll never do stuff like that. He you know, he's got like these moral lines, and there's a lot of Mercedes fans out there who are upset about that. Like if you, especially if you go on Twitter, they'll be like Total Wolf isn't a, as good of a team principal as Christian Horner because he he has these moral boundaries. So because of that, I really don't think I just don't see Mercedes um breaching this this cost cap i think where the conversation is that these all three of these smr and red bull and mercedes have supercar projects or hypercar projects that can give them aerodynamic testing and so i think that's why they're all under uh investigation but ultimately i don't i don't think mercedes is going to be found to be the team i think it'll probably be smr and again maybe red bull i say maybe because i i really am not sure but if it is another team that's been caught twice they definitely should be um given a sporting penalty so we talked there about engineers moving teams the other news story i've got is there was an interview a couple of weeks ago with fred Vasseur, who's the team principal of ferrari and he talked about how the majority of his time is spent trying to convince other people to join ferrari really yeah he says as team principal his job seems to be to try and recruit to ferrari because to have success you need uh, to build up the right team, but people don't want to come to Ferrari because it's isolated. Like eight of the teams are based yeah. more or less in the same place in the UK. So yeah. you could leave one team and go to another one. You maybe don't have to move house. Your kids can stay in the same school, all of that stuff. Whereas to move to Italy, ch- you know, take your kids to a different country, different language, all of that is a big deal. Um, so he says they're struggling in recruitment that way, and that's what he spends most of his time doing. So, but how closed loop is the Formula One world? Do you know? Because because like if it's the same like pool of you know a thousand people, I get it's hard to get people into Italy. But how many people out there are dying to work for F one team and would die to work for Formula uh, for Ferrari? So shouldn't it be easy enough to recruit those people? Yeah, but it's it's like, you know, they, they they want to get the big scalps from other teams. Like, oh, okay. just, you know, me and you would be desperate. If Ferrari came and offered me and you a job, <laughs> we'd say yes. But I think they would prefer Adrian Newey to me or you. Yeah. You know, Fair I'd be enough. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can uh, draw lines. Uh, what what we need is uh, more, more airflow here. And they're like, uh, that's that's a tire. We can't, right, we can't change clear. that. We're going to come on as strategists, okay, not aerodynamicists. And they could use us. I will be Carlos Sainz's new race engineer. I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what it made me think about was why Benotto was dumped and why he was seen to have failed. And and it reminded me of, you know, the U.S. office. So Michael Scott is incompetent and he's the boss. And there's this whole thing of why has he not been fired? He's really incompetent. And every now and again, they'll have like a big client that, you know, and a big sale, and he goes along, and you're like, "Oh, he's a really, really good salesman," and he just kind of got promoted to being head because he was last man standing. And you're like, oh, "Okay, maybe Bonotto has been this amazing engineer, but when it came to it being his job to try and convince other people to come to Ferrari, he wasn't able to do that. He wasn't able to recruit the big names and the top stars." Um, so I saw this from the Joe Sayward blog where he talked about Laurent Rossi uh, stepping down from his role in Alpine. And I'll just read what 
uh, Joe Sayward wrote because I think it's quite interesting. He said, the recent news that CEO Lauren Rossi has left his role suggested that he's failed to master the balancing act. And that's in reference to managing a site in the UK and managing a site in France. Having said that, although F1 people tend to think the world revolves around the sport and not vice versa, it is possible that the change had nothing to do with F1 and was because of the need to realign Alpine's management with the strategic plans for the future. Rossi was there to revive the brand and spread the word, which F1 is doing quite successfully. But now the firm needs someone who knows how to build new cars, and Philippe Kreef is good at that. Kreef is an engineer, but he has never been involved in competition activities. And while that might make hearts a sink in the F1 world, there's little sign that he will make the mistakes of getting involved. Kreef worked with Renault boss Luca de Mayo years ago at Fiat, and they enjoyed success with the Fiat 500. After that, de Mayo went to Volkswagen and Kreef did exciting things like creating the Ferrari 458 and the Alfa Romeo Giulia. And so he's no slouch in the road car world. At the same time, Rossi was being moved on. Bruno Famine was being named as the head of Alpine Motorsport. But the cynics in F1 think this may have been a way to create space to hand the entire F1 project to Mattia Binotto. This might sound odd, but Binotto, like De Mayo and Cruyff, is a protege of Sergio Marchioni and knows them both from the old days. Binotto was slung out of Ferrari at the end of last year, and it was probably significant that six months and a week after he left Maranello, he popped up at the British Grand Prix not saying why he was there. Wow, that would be one of the greatest comebacks in F1 history since Hulkenbeck came back, as if Mattia Binotto got a seat as the team principal of Alpine. Wasn't there like a whole drama with Alpine earlier in the year where they were like criticizing their 100 race plan and Laurent Rossi is like, we're not doing good in our driver lineup or something like that? I feel like he just lost that battle, whatever was going on. I feel like he came out the loser of it, and that's why he lost his seat if they do replace him with with Mattia like long term that's a huge gamble because you know the Michael Scott analogy is so because he was a really good salesman and anytime they show Michael Scott being a salesman he's just so good at being a salesman that he got you know there's like a saying like you get promoted to your level of incompetence yeah so he just got promoted to his (laughs) level of incompetence and that's basically happened with Mattia he was a really good engineer and they needed somebody who was really good at his job to be in charge of the team so they put him in charge but he was just not a good team principal he bottled the biggest chance they had at a championship in the last five or six years so he was like so head in the sand about it too he's like we're not doing anything wrong we don't need to make any changes the strategy is fine like I don't know what the point of that was. I, I, even though people have issues with Total Wolf, at least when things go wrong, he's very open about it. Like, the car is not good enough. This is not good enough. We need to fix it. So, I don't know. I mean, they could bring him back. It'll be interesting. That's the same team that used to have Otmar and then got rid of Otmar and then brought on him. And is Otmar not still there? Where is Otmar now? Oh, I he... think Laurent was the CEO and Otmar is the team principal. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> They brought in Akmar from Racing Point where he, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> I think Akmar is going to lose his seat too. He had to put out a, a statement where he's like, I'm not afraid of losing my seat. Anytime somebody says yeah. that, they're going to lose their seat. I think it'd be interesting to see Matteo Bonato <laughs> with a completely different f- team because he's, you know, Ferrari through and through. There's videos of Michael Schumacher talking to Matteo Bonato. So I wonder if he would suddenly thrive in another environment where yeah, the things that yeah. he doesn't want to do 
like the more political <laughs> stuff or whatever is being taken care of by other CEOs and this and that. And he's more protected yeah. just to run a team. Yeah. It's funny that you say thrive in another environment. Like he didn't create the environment at Ferrari. <laughs> Don't you remember the picture of him shaking his finger at Leclerc? <laughs> yeah, but I think he was, um, like you said, he was just promoted because everybody else had been fired. Hmm. One of those things. Yeah. Like Ron Swanson. Oh, yeah. this is what we, I said that about you in McLaren. But yeah, it's like Ron Swanson turning around and not recognizing anyone. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Shall we get into the race weekend? <laughs> yeah. Is that it for the news? Okay. Uh, I think so. I don't think I have any other news. Do you have any other news? Oh, this story about Binotto going to Alpine. I texted one of my school friends who works at Alpine. And I said, confirm or deny. And he's left my messages unread. <laughs> <laughs> how what is the point of having a friend that works at alpine if he's not going to give you inside information i know right it's like mm. so i'm what 34 now yeah. so we've been friends for 24 years what? and what? rather than you know break his confidentiality agreement put his livelihood in jeopardy <laughs> risk you know the the income coming in for his family and his children he he would rather not take that risk just to give me some interesting gossip. I if if that if that's not a poor friend, I don't I don't know what is. Uh, you but, all right? I could go into I could get into it, but I'm not going to. All I'm saying is, if I had somebody who worked at a Formula One team, we'd be getting a lot more inside information. <laughs> put it, I'll put it that way. Um, but yes, okay, yeah, let's get into the weekend. So things took a very exciting start. I think we all had our hopes up because, first of all, at the end of FP3, Lewis topped the session in his race pace, or uh, in his quality pace uh, simulation, and you put out a really precision uh, tweet that was like, guys, let's, uh, I think, even if Lewis is on pole, Max Verstappen will only win by 15 seconds. Which was hilarious because he won by thirty three seconds. I know. And after the race, you were like, "Sorry, I didn't mean fifteen seconds. I meant I, I miscalculated. Seconds. I forgot to multiply <laughs> by two. Dude, what? What? I have to ask. What prompted you to tweet it when you saw Lewis at the top of the time sheet and thought he can maybe get a pole? What made you think he's definitely still going to lose? I just felt that Red Bull had a better racing car, and uh. Max would be. P2, P3, and over the course of the race would still just get ahead and cruise away. I thought if he's yeah. not hooked up a qualifying lap, it's track. It's just like that. the conditions of that moment specific, whereas over mm-hmm. a race distance, he's, he's not going to be beatable. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I never thought for a second that Max was going to lose. I also really didn't think Lewis was going to be on pole. And I kept thinking back to in Silverstone when Lando took the lead on the at turn one and then like held it for a while. And pretty much as soon as DRS was active, Max overtook him. I was like, yeah, if anybody else is on pole, that's exactly what's going to happen. But it was still really, really exciting to see Lewis get on pole. Like I literally didn't think he was going to be on pole until he was on pole. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think it would feeling. happen. I, I didn't realize it was going to happen. My yeah. Because in like the, the day before they were like p19 or something um and then the way mercedes messed up in qualifying with sending out george too late so they didn't get a run and he got knocked out in q1 i was like oh they're just having the wobbles but actually 
for me, that was just suddenly a moment of relaxation. I think I've massively readjusted all my expectations. I think seeing the political landscape of the world and being a millennial and because when you're young like you, you're like, oh, you know, we'll do this and this and this and the future will be brighter and better. <laughs> and now it I'm will. just like, oh, nothing, nothing <laughs> is going to be better ever again. <laughs> oh, man. All hope is lost. Um, and it's, it's actually just helped me just embrace the little things. And so in my mind, I was all I want from this year is for Lewis to beat George. Yeah. To get more points at the end of the year than George. And when George was knocked out in Q1, I was like, it doesn't matter if Lewis is in P10. He'll still score more points than George. Um, <laughs> and so everything after that just became a bonus. And I was like, oh, great. And I just kept being surprised and surprised and surprised uh, and enjoyed it. I think that is a type of outlook that can only come from watching F1 over long periods of time. Because like your sister has been watching F1 for a very long time. And the things that bother me never bother her. Like, Lewis will, you know, like, you know, last year Spain, for example, crashed into Magnuson and he was like P19 or something at the end of the first lap. And I was like devastated. And your sister was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Look, he had a good recovery drive. <laughs> I was yeah. like, so I think that it's kind of, it's like perspective, right? Like you've seen so many seasons of Lewis driving that you're like, okay, yeah, he was on, he, hey, this time he was on pole. Woohoo. Doesn't yeah. matter that there's P4 or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, and so I, 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 don't, I, yeah. I think we'll get into the race properly in a bit, but just to continue the Lewis Hamilton story of this bit, I think he is driving better this year than he drove last year. I know that's complicated by the fact he was doing lots of testing on the car and things, but I think he's driving incredibly well. I think, you know, it's always becoming mixed up which team is second fastest. And he's closing in on P3 in the championship. And the way until the last lap he was chasing Sergio, to me, I'm like, this, you know, watching him not give up, regardless of the situation, knowing that Max Verstappen's a million miles ahead, but just fighting, fighting, fighting all the way till the end for that podium. That's what I think is inspirational and what you can take away. So I was like, do you know what? I really like that he's not so dejected that he, he's fighting and that's really cool to watch. And that's what I took away. But... Let's stick with qualifying for a minute. What do you think of this new format where you have to use hards and then mediums and then oh, softs? It's really interesting, isn't it? So I actually like the old uh, format where um, you have to use the tires in the race that you use in Q2 or whatever because it created some really interesting situations. Like I remember in Abu Dhabi 21, even though Max was on pole, he was starting on what like the softs, I think, right? And so that everyone was saying, oh, it's the bad race tire. You don't want to start on the softs. He's going to be at a strategical disadvantage. So it was really interesting because Red Bull had to make that calculation of like, um, uh, do we sacrifice pole position for uh, uh, the soft tires? And so when they got rid of that, I was like, eh, you know, now it doesn't really matter. I mean, the cool thing now is, you know, you take the tire blankets off and everybody gets to see what tire you're on for the first time. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But I think this this worked and it, it it didn't work. So in the sense that it worked, it allowed teams that, you know, thrive on different tire compounds to really rise to the top. So like Alfa Romeo was doing exceedingly well on the hard tires and they were like, you know, up and, and first and Zhao was fastest in Q1, uh, faster than Verstappen surprisingly. And, and then teams like Mercedes that didn't do well on the hards were struggling in Q1. Um, but I, I think in, in a certain way, it also doesn't necessarily work because... Um, like 
at a certain point that advantage is negated you know like it brings some drama into the qualifying but i don't know if it i don't know how much extra drama it it creates necessarily the fast teams are still going to be fast the slow teams yeah are still going to be slow you know what i mean i think what it does is it takes away cuz i don't i don't think it actually creates drama in of itself and we need to do it for a few more qualifiers to say what what is this tire thing doing i think what was interesting is there were certain drivers that were in trouble um because it basically it puts a lot more pressure on the driver to perform on that tire um let's say for example carlos Sainz. was he knocked out in q2 right so normally what he would have done is they would have recognized okay this isn't working well just put the softs on him and on the softs he will outdo everyone and people like you said are making that calculation do i use the soft they don't want to because they want to keep more softs for later or do i try and get as far as i can on a medium just now and him being in trouble he would have put a soft on and suddenly you know shot up to p1 then be like okay i've got through to q3 but i've had to use up one of my soft sets now it takes away that safety net from these teams um, so if you mess up your qualifying lap, you can't suddenly just do another one on the soft tire and be faster than other people. So I think that's what it's done. It's it's taken away a safety net. The flip side of that safety net is now you have one less soft to use in the race. Like you have, you like, you know, we used to think about, oh, you know, George has two uh, used softs, but but Lewis has unused softs. He's got new softs. So like that's kind of the flip side. The other thing is before, like these teams that would almost never make it into Q3 would put on soft tires early on so that they can make it into Q3. And then once they were in Q3, would just do normal laps. Yeah, and just sit in P10. Like, yeah, exactly. But so they can't do that now. However, the caveat is Hulkenberg still dragged the Haas <laughs> into Q3. So he still made it work. And it's so funny that he bought, he, you know, he put the Haas in, in, in Q3 and, and like nobody even talked about it. <laughs> like it was like everyone's like, yeah, this is normal now <laughs> for yeah. the Haas to be P10. <laughs> I think he's been a big surprise of the season. And I think he's, the results may not necessarily reflect it, but overall his but performance. Yeah, yeah, but I think he's making Magnussen look a little bit ordinary. Yeah, I actually want to look up real quick what their finishing positions are because, you know, when Magnussen came in, he was really showing up Mick Schumacher and everybody was really in love with him. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, but the way Hulkenberg has, I mean, I didn't even notice it till this race because he was P10 and, and Magnussen was P18 or whatever. And I just couldn't believe that. I was like, how has there been such a... So I'm going to look at... So Hulkenberg has finished... 15, 12, 7, 17, 15, 17, 15, 15, 13, 14. Okay, so you can see on average he's about 15th place. Magnuson is 13, 10, 17, 13, 10, 19, 18, 17, 18, 17. Yeah. So he's about 17. So Hulkenberg has consistently finished. Yeah, he's got nine two points to two points. Yeah, so it's. Would you. Are, are they. Are we dropping. Or are we. Is Haas dropping Magnuson at the end of the year? I think so i don't think they'd like bin him in the middle of the year or anything but i think mm-hmm. where it is that his contract comes to end yeah i yeah and my my prediction for who's going to be in that second half seat uh, it is sergio perez so this is a, a solid prediction i would agree with you except for one thing i think Haas has been cut 
a little flat-footed with Magnuson's performance because, like, just a couple weeks ago, Gene Haas, uh, not Gene Haas, what's his name, Gunther Steiner, was saying that, like, oh, we want to keep the contracts very quick. We want to come out with them very quickly. We don't want to delay it. We don't want to drag it out. We, we want the contracts to be finalized very fast for who our two drivers are going to be. And they wouldn't say that if they're actively approaching other drivers. They certainly wouldn't say that if Sergio Perez is going to be in the seat because Perez is going to cling on to that Red Bull until the very last second. Um, so I, I think that they still want Magnussen in there. I think they're going to give him one more year to really match up with Hulkenberg. But at the end of next year, I, I think all bets are off. And they might they might drop him early. If Perez is kicked out of Red Bull, they, really, yeah. they actually might just drop him early and pick up Perez. But, um, what I find yeah. interesting is mm-hmm. I feel like for a, a period of time, maybe from when like Vettel came in and just after Vettel, the other Red Bull juniors like yeah. Boemi, Alguasari, all these people, there was mm-hmm. suddenly a big shift to youth, youth, youth. Yeah. And there clearly are very fast young drivers, you know, Russell, yeah. Lando Norris, Alex Piastri. Albon, uh, Piastri. But there's a thing about teams now saying, actually, we want experience to someone like a Nico Hulkenberg, someone like a Sergio mm-hmm. Perez. Like, mm-hmm. we're not saying, oh, Haas will get rid of Magnussen and take whoever wins the F2 championship. Mm-hmm. And no, that's that was no. one of their reasons for dropping Mick Schumacher was they said we needed experience and someone who was just more of a safe pair of hands could lead the team. And I mm-hmm. think it's real interesting that the pendulum is trying to swing a little bit the other way. Yeah. Well, it's it's because the field is so strong that you can't really take risks in many places, especially not with your driver lineup. Like, look at Williams and Logan Sargent. They brought in Logan basically because they're like, you know, we're going to train this guy. We're going to make him really good. We're going to let him grow and develop, and then maybe he'll be like, you know, another George Russell in the sense that he'll become like a team leader, or maybe he'll be a good B-side driver to Alex Albon or take over and Albon leaves. Now the whole conversation online is they should drop Logan Sargent. That he should he should go. He sucks. He's he's horrible. You know he's only been in F one for half a year, so we can't like like really put him to that degree. But everyone wants him gone, and that's why Nick DeVries is gone too. So I just think that the t- the field is so tight. Like I don't know when you've got Lando Norris, Oscar Oscar Piastri, Alex Albon. These are all good drivers. George Lewis, Max, Sergio, Carlos Leclerc, like. All of these are very solid drivers. The weakest driver on the field is Logan Sargent. Like who, like, you know, yeah, who else I, is... I don't think he's quote unquote a bad driver. I think like no, you said, yeah. everyone else has had time to grow, get experience, yeah. know what they're doing. And he's just like, like, he's like you. He's like an intern that's like <laughs> suddenly surrounded by people with much more experience. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that, yeah, that's why. That's why they want experienced drivers. Uh, but Alfa Romeo, great performance. Jao finishing P5, Biltas in P7, and then neither of them doing anything in the race. Yeah. <laughs> Sad times for Alfa. Yeah. But hey, at least they got their they got their quality moment. I wish points were scored on Saturday, so Lewis could have picked up points for the pole position. But at so least he got that 104. They, the reason they don't want to do that is because they don't want someone to win the world championship on a Saturday. <laughs> and that was one of the things during the sprint races because something like in the history of formula one the 77 seasons of it or whatever it is yeah i think it's 30 times the championship has gone down to the last race mm-hmm. which is actually very very high overall 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, they were like, mm, we don't want someone to suddenly win the championship on Saturday and then Sunday just be like a random parade. <laughs> but they can can't they do that on in the sprint race? Now they no? can, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, historically, yeah. one of the reasons they didn't award yeah, points didn't for to. pole was they didn't want someone to well, that's kind of, suddenly win on a Saturday. That's that's not a good reasoning though, because it, I mean, people have been winning earlier than the last race for so long, and the last few races are ceremonial for the person who's won, right? Like. Uh, all those years that Lewis was winning in Austin or Mexico or whatever, um, like the next couple of races, he was just kind of cruising. <laughs> he didn't, wasn't really trying because he already won. So, <clears throat> Also, the tickets I, I, are so expensive and you buy them so far in advance. I can't think of anyone that would attend Saturday, go, oh, look, Max or Lewis <laughs> Max or whoever is it is. Yeah, I'm not going to come to the race tomorrow. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, whatever. Bad reasoning, F one. Yeah. I agree with your Rainforest Cafe extortion scheme. <laughs> I don't agree. I don't agree with this. Um, yeah. What did you think of the Hungara Ring? Um, I like it. I think it's an old school circuit, and I think nice. um, it's it's fun to drive on the PlayStation game. <laughs> I guess this is more for the race itself, not really qualifying. So let's just move on to Sunday, but. <laughs> What was this race? Okay, like like rate it out of 10. 10 being incredible, 1 being Monza. I mean not Monza, Monaco. How would you rate this? Um, I would say it was a I don't know, 6 7. Like it was just wow, a, it was fine. Really? Yeah. I was going to give them a 3 out of 10. <laughs> Cuz you know they usually like the Hungary usually gets the, the moniker Monaco without the balls. And, like, last year wasn't really like that. Last year I thought it was quite exciting. The year before that was quite exciting, too, with Lewis coming through the field and he was the only one at the start. And it was, it was pretty cool. This year I really felt like it lived up to that. Like, I just felt like it was so – like, usually you can at least look forward to the strategy, but everybody was on a two-stop. Like, there, I, I just did not – I mean, what, the only entertainment for most of the race was Perez trying to – claw back onto the podium from p9 yeah and struggling to do so for many many laps so i i don't know um i i just wasn't impressed i thought it was a very boring race i think this was probably the worst race of the season so far i think Um, the way you need to watch it yeah is just forget max okay okay but even if you forget max like lando was second for so long pretty much unchallenged yeah but you had this whole thing of was he going to be caught by Perez? And then he put in a good performance. Like, I think sometimes when you watch races, mm-hmm. the the thing that you take away, you know, whether you like a person or not, and I know there's a lot of Lando haters, it's just to go, actually, that performance that he put in where he was in danger uh, and Sergio Perez was in the greatest Formula One car in <laughs> all of history... <laughs> and Lando was able to put in lap times to keep Perez away. Yeah, and the other thing of Lando's outlap was so fast that he accidentally caused a headache for his team by overtaking <laughs> his own teammate. Yeah. And then watching Lewis push and push and push and yeah, get the gap down. And, yeah. So remember that thing I was talking about, the, the difference between test cricket and 2010, 20 cricket. This. Yeah, the analogy went completely over my head because I don't know what either of those things are. Right. But so 2020 cricket is when they just play 20 overs. It's a short game and there's restrictions on the fielding. So it's easy for the batsman to like take risks and just smack the ball. So when you watch 2020 okay. cricket, the joy is going, oh, look, the batsman has hit another four, another six, and just smashing it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
it's very hard to do that in test cricket because the fielders hmm. aren't restricted. So then it's like it's you you start looking for weird things, like a bowler who bowls six in an over at six balls, right? So the bowler bowls six balls, and the batsman scores zero runs. You'd be like, oh wow, that was really really good bowling. And on the one hand, literally nothing has just happened. Someone has just bowled, and the batsman has not touched the ball once. And you're like, wow, that was really good bowling. But you're admiring a different skill in that moment. Um, so I think that's what's with motor racing. There's time for drama. Chrissy overtakes. There's time for strategy. And actually, like I would advise everyone, if you can, if you have the ability, go go karting, go do a track day, any of this, because you realize how hard it is just to string one lap together for these drivers to be doing it lap after lap after lap it is something to be admired so that analogy went completely over i have no idea well, are they bowling i didn't are there pins and <laughs> yes i'm very confused <laughs> why can't he hit a six isn't that like baseball anyway anyway since i don't know what that analogy was I agree with you in theory. I like strategic races. I really enjoy them. I remember when I first started watching Formula 1, I used to like text you in the middle of a race and be like, oh, I'm so bored. And then you used to text me back like, no, you need to pay attention to the strategy. Once I started getting the hang of that, I like those strategical races. I like when I'm wondering, oh my God, are they going to box Lewis now? Are they going to have him undercut? Are they going to have him go long? Is Lewis going to really save the tire for the end? Like, I like watching yeah. that and not knowing what the strategy is and, and – yeah. You know, there was, really there was no interesting strategy in this one. No, I, I, I think the end of the race was really good, but you can't ignore the rest of the race because the end of it was very good. And Lando putting in really good laps at the end was there. And Lewis catching – like if Lewis had five more laps, he would have taken the position. He would have been on the podium, which would have been you know incredible. Same with George. George did really well too to uh, overtake Carlos. And then he, essentially he would have taken overtaken Leclerc too. He just did, didn't need to because of the, the penalty, but he would have. Um, and so I think the end of the race was very nice, but the rest of it was not very good. And I don't know. I was pretty overall disappointed with, with the race. But yeah. What Should we talk like? about specific elements of the race? So number one, yes. Red Bull world record, 12 races in a row that they've won. I saw something like had... George Russell not won in Brazil, it would have been like 22 races in a row or something. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, can we now say this is the most dominant F1? I know you just said it, but can we say it? This is the greatest F1 car in history. Yeah, I think so. And I think congratulations to Red Bull. Uh, and like Toto Wolf said, it's a meritocracy as long as you don't break the rules. Yeah, um, which they did. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it, it's on everyone else to try and catch up. Um do you, do you think this is the era of domination more dominating than Mercedes? Please say yes. Yeah, I, my fear is that because the most wins by a driver in a row, Sebastian Vettel, nine in a row, right? Yeah. So Vettel's on seven. Yeah. And I think by the end of the year, he'll be on eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, seven. I think Verstappen can okay. do... 18 races in a row <laughs> where he just wins. Hey, you might, you never know in uh, Singapore, <laughs> Perez might. That's true. King of the streets. <laughs> King of the streets will get Singapore. C countries with bad human rights violations. Does Singapore yeah. have bad human rights violations? I actually don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know the specifics of the laws and things there. You're not allowed yeah. to chew chewing gum. You're not allowed to chew chewing gum? No, they're like very thin about uh, 
cleanliness and following the rules and like if you eat at like a uh, restaurant or like you know like a cafe or whatever if you don't clean yeah. your table after yourself you'll get fined wow. if you chew chewing gum you'll get fined can yeah. you can you uh walk and eat like eat and walk, like you know with an ice cream cone or like a well like a sandwich or so something? i was in a mall and i i i got a burger because yeah. my daughter enjoys eating burgers and i was yeah. walking around with her and i was looking for like a bench something to sit on to just eat this burger and i couldn't find a bench and um, I was looking around and I noticed that no one else around me in anywhere in the mall was eating while they were walking, like like you said, like an ice cream or yeah. a coffee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, was this like frowned upon? And um, so, yeah, so I, I don't think, well, I don't know. The reason I'm asking is because when I went to Korea, um, I, you know, they have a huge like convenience store scene there where like the convenience stores have really good uh, snacks. So I got myself a drink and I was like drinking it and walking and like talking with, you know, and when I was done with the drink, I could not find the trash can anywhere. Like I just could not find the trash can, but at the same time, there was no trash on the streets. So like I asked my sister, like, what do they do here? Like, there's clearly no trash cans, but there's no trash on the streets. And she's like, oh, they just don't walk and eat or walk and drink. Uh, so they never run into this problem. Like they, they sit where they are and then they finish their food and then they clean up after themselves. And I was like, oh, wow, what a crazy cultural difference how did we get on this topic what were we talking about <laughs> um max verstappen 18 <laughs> yes. wins in a row verstappen 18 wins in a row you hear it here first people this is the first season that one team will win every single race which is also part of the reason why i didn't want lewis to win because i don't want that to be broken i want people to watch this and i want all the new fans who who you know supposedly hated mercedes's era of domination i want them to hate this era of domination as well yeah. I, if i can't be I, happy no one can be happy that's what I'm i i i kind of yeah understand where you're coming from with that yeah. can i can i tell you why um i'm not so jaded since the race has ended yeah so when it ended i was very depressed not because lewis finished in p4 because I've kind of expanded my like view as well. Not not as much as you have. But I also was like, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, this probably wasn't a bad race. Lewis was on pole position for the first time, which is massive, huge. Like, okay, side note before I finish this uh, thought that I'm going. There are so many people on Twitter who are like, this is my first pole position uh, that I've seen Lewis get. And I, and I just couldn't believe because I consider myself a new fan. But I've seen many, many pole positions at this point. You've seen even more than I have. So it's just so fun to see that there's so many new fans like that have not even seen another Lewis pole. That's so sad for them that they haven't witnessed him winning multiple races. But anyway, getting back to the main thing, he was on pole position. He outscored Alonso, which means he's now closer to him in, in the uh, Drivers' Championship. Um, he outscored George, which means that he beats him again in a, in a head-to-head. He also outqualified him, so he beats him in the, in the quali head-to-head. Uh, and Mercedes is pulling ahead of Aston Martin and Ferrari in P- for P2 in the championship, which is what we want. So basically, long-term-wise, season-long-wise, this all worked out for Mercedes. And the only thing that happened is that Lewis started on pole and unfortunately finished yeah. off the podium. But what really made me sad was McLaren. And George Russell actually said it in his after-race uh, debrief. He's like, look, if you ignore how McLaren is doing – Everybody would be at, at the team and also all of our fans would be saying, yeah, Mercedes is on the right track. We've outdeveloped Ferrari. We've outdeveloped um, uh, Aston Martin. We are now getting closer to uh, Red Bull. Without McLaren being this fast, we would have been back on the podium this race. People would have been like, yeah, this is great. The problem is that McLaren actually have developed quickly 
and they jumped from you know 17 18 at the beginning of the uh, of the year to now finishing on the podiums three races in a row which is incredible for them and really good for them but it depressed me a lot that i was like is there no end in sight? Do we out do we outdeveloped Ferrari? We still had to deal with Aston Martin. We outdeveloped Aston Martin. Now we have to deal with McLaren. And I even said on a Twitter space with uh, F1 Jordan, I was like, "Who's if we outdevelop McLaren, who's next? Is Alpine going to bring an update? And now we have to outdevelop Alpine. Like, are we perpetually stuck in third? But now my outlook has changed, and I have a slightly more positive outlook. The worst thing that happened to us last year was George Russell winning in Brazil. A, because it's prevented Red Bull from winning 35 races in a row, but also because it convinced Toto Wolf that we need to continue the no side pod development path. And I think if McLaren had not developed so quickly, we would have been patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh yeah, we've got a good race car, we're on the right track. McLaren developing so quickly has proved that we really aren't where we need to be, which I hope will push the team to even higher standards that will actually allow us to catch Red Bull eventually. Because that was the other problem at the beginning of this year. Our standards, our our metrics were not high enough because we said, oh yeah, we hit all our metrics. We were still slow. We had to raise our metrics. So I'm hoping now the team sees this, raises its metrics and can catch Red Bull. But um, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. But the way I thought about it was, if it's possible for McLaren to make up seven tenths of a second, yeah, then it should be possible for Mercedes to make up seven tenths of a second. Yeah, and the other thing that I definitely, I, I fully, fully agree with you, and I also think we're still feeling the effects of the no side pod era because, like, we could only really f- fix some of the bodywork and like the floor. We couldn't fix the underlying structure of the car, and like all the aerodynamics that Mercedes have been saying for a while that, you know, the concept is not just the side pods. It's everything in the car. It's the way that we lay out everything in the car. So we're still kind of, we still have the innards of the no side pod and we just have the outwards of this new era. So hopefully next year we can make some of these. Quick so I hope that Mercedes yeah. have completely switched focus to next year's car and will use this car yeah. to test parts that they want to put on next year's car. If that makes sense. So they're like, hey, look, we've made a new front wing. It's not really optimal for the way this car is set up, but we want to do this testing on it, blah, 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 and and start doing that. Because to Mercedes, really, what difference does it make if they finish P2 or P3? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I hope that's what they're doing. Well, so I think P2 would be a nice moral boost for them. My question for you is, we've defeated two of our foes. We have a new foe now, McLaren. Do you think McLaren can catch and overtake Mercedes in P2 by the end of the year. Uh, let's have a look at the points. So they're that they about have. So McLaren had 87. Points, no. 100 and, yeah, about 150 points behind. I, right? I, we're at I, I think that's too far. I think it will end with Red Bull, obviously, in first place. Mm-hmm. I think Mercedes will end in second because this whole thing of consistently being third, yeah. they're racking up lots of points. <laughs> yeah. Whereas who is second seems to be like this revolving thing, which is cool because before, you know, back in the old days, you'd have a team, like all the teams would be four seconds apart from each other. So the field is actually much closer. Yeah. Um, I think there will be a big battle for P3. I think Mm. Aston Martin are in that position right now and have the advantage, Mm. Mm. but, you know, I'm not sure that's set in stone. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I it's 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 going to be tough. I think Mercedes is bringing an upgrade to Spa. I think if all they can do is get one driver ahead of a McLaren, I think we're okay to save P2. The only 
you know, situation where we don't keep our P2 is if, like, Lando and Oscar are, like, you know, P3 and P4, P2 and P3 every race for the rest of the season. That would be actually incredible. That would be crazy if that happened. I will I will buy a Lando Norris t-shirt and wear it for an entire episode if <laughs> they finish P2. But, yeah, I think, I think hopefully, I think Mercedes has P2 locked. Do you think Lewis has P3 locked for the Drivers' Championship? Yeah. He's yeah. six points behind Fernando. I think Aston Martin are in a little bit of trouble at the minute. Mm -hmm. I think Lewis will overtake and then just consistently knock in top five finishes. I hope so. And those top five finishes will just carry Lewis through to P3 in the championship. Yeah. So you think this is it for Aston Martin's development path? Do you think P2 is out of it? Now it's fight for P3? Yeah. I think their fight is, can we Mm -hmm. stay ahead of Ferrari? And I think McLaren's fight is, can we overtake both of them? It's possible. It's possible. Not. It would be very, very yeah. difficult, but like you said, it would be it would be entertaining and quite a story if they did. Absolutely. So we've got Spa coming up mm. uh, and a sprint race, and I will be working during sprint during quali. Yeah, quali's mm. on Friday. What will you be doing during quali? Oh, I don't know what time of day it's on, but yes, I'll be working as well. Great. So we oh, will figure question. out how to watch it. Yes. Last thing answer. before we finish. Um, yeah. What did you think of Daniel Ricardo? Oh, good question. Very I almost forgot about Smiley's face. First of all, I hate the shot they put of him in the new beginning. It's just like a close up of his smile. Yeah. Like <laughs> look at these the, teeth. That's the best footage they had of the whole shoot. I know it was fast and rushed, but they've gotta have yeah. had better than that. Um I thought he was very good to to qualify thirteenth ahead of Yuki. He said he wasn't sure how he felt about it. I understand because, like, you can't be like, "Yeah, I'm so excited with P13." Like, you, should, yeah. you can't just come out and say that. But at the same time, knowing where Alfatori has been, I think P13 is a very good place to 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 qualify, especially ahead of your teammate. Yeah. Um, and I think that he did really well to recover. He it wasn't his fault that he got hit. And I thought when he got hit in the beginning that that was it for him. Yeah, he was just going to go around in last place for the rest I, of the Exactly. Race. And I thought he would be like 20 seconds behind and we would forget about him. But for, he, for him to crawl back up to P13, I think was very impressive. It's just one race. We don't know if it's yeah. circuit dependent, if this is the old Daniel Ricciardo is back, if Yuki just had a really bad weekend. But it's certainly promising. Yeah. I want to move past the depression of Nick DeVries leaving because in certain ways it's just how the sport operate it's not how it's it's how red yeah. bull operates as lewis said uh, and i i do want to just start looking at this as the dan ricardo i liked story. what yuki sonoda said about nick devries though what did he say so he was talking about him and he was uh he said he's like nicky lauda have you seen the rush film yes yeah. so you know how nicky lauda's feedback and the way you know when he's hitchhiking yeah. and he gets in that car and he's like oh mm-hmm. your back left is yeah. like a little bit low i can feel it <laughs> blah blah and he said Nick DeVries was like that. He could, mm. you know, the first ever lap he had in the car, he was telling us what the front wing was doing. And we didn't give him this information. He just knew because he could feel it in the car. Mm. And so there's a bit of me that's like, we need to get Nick DeVries back into developing the uh, Mercedes. <laughs> you know, maybe that's his, you know, like Mick Schumacher in the simulator has been doing really, really good work for Mercedes. Like, like it's so obvious, more obvious than I've ever been aware from a simulator driver before. Like I, I never saw this from like who was our old like Ben Dorn and stuff. Like I never saw them do this kind of work. So I'm very impressed. Maybe Nick DeVries, maybe he's just gonna be the kind of guy that's not the best in the car, but he knows so much technical aspects he can help develop. Like Julian Palmer, for example. You yeah, know? it's like Anthony Davidson. Anthony Davidson yeah. has been a development driver or simulator driver for such mm-hmm. a long time because he gives good feedback and all of mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. So. 
Um, like, like part of me is like they shouldn't put Mick Schumacher back in the F1 car because he's doing such a good job on the, on the sim. Like, <laughs> like the the changes we're seeing between Friday and Saturday are massive. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, but I think I think it's interesting to see now how Daniel goes if he's kind of gun for Checo seat. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the juniors, the F1 juniors thing that happened this? this oh, I didn't race? watch any of that. Like, As, I yeah. was at home. You think my daughter would let me even watch the race? I'm like <laughs> half watching it on my but it's phone. For her. So she can watch, so she can it's watch Paw her. Patrol on the big TV. <laughs> but that it's was for the. Her. <laughs> she didn't care. I put yeah. it on. No race car. No race car. <laughs> I remember when she was born, and you showed her her first F1 race. Yeah, was like it was the day she was born. Old. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what. Sometimes she does want to watch it, but it depends on her mood. So mm. that day she wanted to watch Paw Patrol, so she was like, <laughs> "No race car, no race car." Uh, so I had to put Paw Patrol on instead <laughs> and watch the race on my phone. Yeah, um, I want to watch the F1 Juniors uh, feed from now on because um, I feel like it's going to cure my depression. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. good. <laughs> All right, guys, that has been our group support system. Yeah, is the word. Yeah, group support. Therapy, system. not therapy. Oh, I have an <laughs> idea. Uh, what's it called? Thesaurus. Therapy. <laughs> For words of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, what's going to come up? Treatment, remedy, cure. <clears throat> okay, that has been our treatment, remedy, cure episode for you guys. <laughs> this weekend, I'm extremely excited to go watch the Barbie movie. Both of our sisters are in it. So Yes, um, that's true. Our sisters yeah. are both extras in the Barbie film. Yes, very exciting. Thank you everyone for joining us. We will see you all after Spa. Bye. Bye. This has been a production for Not That Good Media.